One of today's most popular and accepted lifestyles is the LGBTQ plus lifestyle. The plus symbol on the end of that string of letters, it means it's a living label. And what I mean by that is you can keep adding to it. It was not always LGBTQ and and then they just kept adding and, and they did the plus sign. So now it can continue on and who knows what else it could turn into in the future. But the question that I want to ask you, actually two questions. The first one is, how does this new and accepted way to think about gender and gender roles, how does it make you feel? What goes through your mind as you think about where we are as a culture, as you peer into the future based on the historical past, as you think about the future and where you, you're, you, you're pretty confident of where it's going and it's not a place that you prefer. And so how do you feel about that? What do you think about that? And then the second question is, how are you engaging and instructing your children and the rest of your friends as you talk about this new way of living? As far as gender, gender roles is concerned, it just seems like there's been a, a huge tsunami that has come over. Over the Christian community, and many people are drowning. A lot of people are frustrated. Some folks are paralyzed, and and I hope that through this podcast that it will. My goal here is to motivate you to step up. If you're not already, many of you are, and I realize that, but I want to motivate more of you to step up, and we must engage our culture according to where our culture is currently, and we must do this with biblical sophistication and precision and courage and, and humility. And so my question is, how are you engaging and instructing your sphere of influence regarding LGBTQ+. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas, and I'm glad that you are here. If you would like to read this podcast, I want you to. The title of it is, Why Should You Talk to Your Children About LGBTQ+. Now, I realize that this is a sensitive topic for so many of us. It's an icky topic for uh, for some, and I understand that. But I have to write about it. I have to talk about it because we cannot bury our heads in the sand. This is where we are as a culture, and we need to bring this conversation into the light, and we need to discuss it. If you would like to talk to me and our team about this subject, again, the title of the podcast, Why Should You Talk to Your Children About LGBTQ+, if you would like to talk about this, we want to engage you. We are a dialogue ministry in addition to the monologue content, that, like what I am doing right now, but we realize that people do have questions and we do have a format, a platform to engage you. We have a free community for forum uh, that is brought to you by Nancy, for example. Nancy, thank you for your donation today. Thank you for your kindness to our ministry. Also, Andrew, Andrew and Jennifer, thank you so much for your kind donation as well. These are just some of the people that help us do what we do, and so we can provide these resources to you freely, including our community forums. And so if you would like to chat with us, please Please take advantage of that. And also, if you want to flatten out, you can flatten out what you're asking us. You don't have to use names. You don't have to mention your relatives or your church folk. You don't have to mention your church. 
or your town for that matter. Just flatten it out. You can communicate what you want to communicate without being specific as far as nouns are concerned. And so flatten it out and share with us. And that would be good enough because we want to hear from you and we want to help you. All right, let me jump into this podcast. Why should you talk to your children about LGBTQ plus? Generations come and generations go. What was is no more. Your preferences, your pleasures, well, in time, they will be passe. We must wrestle with whether we're willing to index forward to these new times by engaging the here and now, or are we going to commiserate with our old friends in our rectangular red brick church building sitting in our sanctuaries about how things used to be? Are we going to be stuck in the past, or are we going to step into the future and engage it where we really are? Adam and Eve, they wore fig leaves. We dress differently today because things change. By the way, praise God that we're not wearing fig leaves. But my point here is that things do change and we must be willing to index forward. The unfortunate thing is that the one group that seems to be the most unwilling to change are Christians. We seem to be always looking backward, holding on to or trying to hold on to what used to be while the world moves into the future with or without us. Do you feel the tension? I know you do. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and so many of you do, I know you feel this tension. You look in the past and and you see how things used to be, and you realize they aren't that way, and temptation is just to, to hang on to how things used to be. Now, perhaps the tension you feel is about giving up on things that should not change. And I understand that problem for sure. Some things should never change change. And so when I talk about our unwillingness to change, I am not talking about the unchangeables. I am not talking about the gospel, for example. It should never change. This issue of LGBTQ, it is a sin, always has been, always will be. That too is unchangeable. And so when I talk about we need to change, I'm not talking about the unchangeables. But what if you were a pace setter in showing the culture how to live well in an ever-changing world? You see, too many Christians are ditch people. They either won't change anything or they are open to changing everything. Now, where I land on this matter is right in the middle. There is a middle ground. There are some things that we really do need to index forward so that we can engage people properly, adequately, relevantly, appropriately, biblically. And then there are some things, well, absolutely, we we will not change. We cannot change. And we may even have to die because of our unwillingness to change. But I understand the ever-shifting Overton window, which is a huge problem when it pertains to shifting morals. Morality should never change. But again, I'm speaking of another issue where we should be on the leading edge, showing folks how to adapt to the culture 
so Christians understand how to live in it without compromising God's word. The unchanging ditch person believes that change equals compromise. And you'll hear that. This is how they will react. When you talk about changing, they, the word change and compromise are synonyms in their minds. It's an attitude that keeps them trapped in the past while simultaneously losing ground to the culture's new moral standards. They sense the increasing paganism of our country, which is really real, and it bothers them, and praise God that they are bothered by the increasing paganism. I I am bothered as well. But rather than thinking through the contours of, of change and their need to, to move forward to speak into it, practically, they don't. They drive a, their flag in the ground, and I will not change. And what that means, I will not change in any way, any shape, fashion, or form. A wiser response is cultural engagement. Keeping up with the times by staying relevant That should be intuitive, and it should be pneumatic. And the reason is, is because we're the only ones who can bring clarity and common sense to cultural evolution. There is nothing that should paralyze us with fear. We can step into the evolving future because we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture and the Spirit's empowerment. And also we... We have each other. And so you put those three things together, the sufficiency of God's word and the Spirit's illumination and and the community of faith. We should be bold and practical as we step into our evolving future. Some of you may remember in June 2015, our culture made one of those shifts. The gay community capped off a 40-year plan to legalize gay marriage. You remember? That was June 2015. Now, some of you will be shocked by that because it was so long ago, and it just seems like yesterday. And while Christians have been yelling at the gays for decades, the gay community has been strategically and methodically dismantling an entire culture's worldview regarding homosexuality. Now, the world believes God made Adam and Eve and Adam and Steve. The gay community had a more layered and intellectual plan to corrupt and devalue the Bible. For the most part, Christians stuck to their guns by saying that homosexuality is a sin, which it is, but that was the extent of their reaction. While we were stating the obvious, that homosexuality is a sin, the younger generation of believers, they were not as opposed to gayness. And there are two reasons that our youth respond differently from the older generation. Reason number one is their chronological starting point was different from previous generations. My starting point was 1959. That's when I was born. Imagine a person being born in 2005. 
That is two radically different chronological starting points. The younger generation were born inside a timeline that accepted gays. My generation started at a different chronological spot where we intuitively knew that gay was a sin, whether we were Christians or not. And so point number one, as to why the youth are responding differently from us older people, they have a different chronological starting point. And then number two, these older Christians made too many assumptions about the next generations while refusing to engage them regarding the ever-changing culture. This older generation, my group, acted as though the gay worldview would not affect us. We made the wrong assumptions, and this is the point of this podcast. We have to move forward. We have to step into this year, this time, this generation without compromising what we believe, but we have to engage the culture. You can't sit back and and think about how things used to be and bemoan the fact of how things are and never engaging in biblically intelligent, practical ways. I want you to take a look at the culture's strategic and methodical approach by reviewing what I call the gay timeline. I want to show you the gay timeline from 1960 until today, and I want to look at four generations within that gay timeline, and, and you'll see what they did, and you'll see how strategic and methodical it was. Let's start before 1960 when I was born. Before 1960, many people, including Christians, hated gay people and reacted harshly to them. I am not saying that is right. That's not. We shouldn't hate anyone. No, hate to sin, of course. But I'm just saying factually, before 1960, that's the way many people thought about the gay people. And then from 1960 to 1980, well, that's my generation, We thought being gay was odd, but as long as they left us alone to each each his own, that was my generation, we didn't hate them per se. We did mock them and made fun of them and that kind of thing, but we were not as angry at them as, say, folks before 1960. And then the next 20 years, between 1980 and 2000, saw a growing tolerance for being gay. Do you see the shifting of the gay timeline? Before 1960, a whole lot of hate. 1960 to 1980, eh, to each his own. The next 20 years, from 1980 to 2000, there was an increasing cultural shift even against those who thought that being gay was a sin. So not only was there this adapting that being gay is okay, but it shifted to if you disagreed with that, then you had the problem. And then the next point on the timeline are the 2000s. And the 2000s, we see a huge number of people with a what's-the-big-deal attitude, and that is our younger generation, including the Christian youth. If you did not pick up on it, let me say it out loud. We're not in Kansas anymore. Suppose you're willing to 
unwilling to accept that things have changed, and you're reluctant to index forward to this generation in which you are breathing today. In that case, you will not add gospel value to a society that desperately needs God's wisdom in ways that they can understand. The thing that is missing in my gay timeline that I just gave you from 1960 to 2020, one of the things that's missing is sound, humble, and practical biblical engagement from those who know how to connect to the current culture. Though each of those four timelines lessen in dramatic responses toward the gays, All four of those data points are similar in that they lacked relevant practical engagement. That is the thing that was missing throughout the timeline that I just presented to you. Relevant practical engagement, and this is what I am calling you to do, and calling myself as well. My dad's generation, excuse me, my dad's generation hated gay people. My generation reacted by thinking being gay was weird. Those who came after me were more tolerant as the gay community became more proactive in propagating their worldview with a multimedia approach. And by the time we got to this century, the groundwork had worked, and there was a new generation that was willing to say, what's your problem? Stop living in the past. It was only a short step to vote yes to gay marriage in 2015. Where the world is today tempts too many awful reactions from some believers. Many of them angrily tear up cyberspace with their rants. It's easy to feel defeated or afraid or angry about sin's encroachments and our permittance of it. Perhaps it would be an excellent time for you to reflect on a a couple of questions. How are you engaging others regarding the gay problem? Are you stuck in the chronological past where you're just angry and then just throw out cliches? This is sin, and, and that is the extent of your cultural familial engagement? Question number two, how are you talking to your children about gays, about sex, about sexuality? The title of the podcast is, Why Should You Talk to Your Children About LGBTQ+. Well, the reason that you should talk to your children, and I trust that you've picked up on it already, is that your children were dropped into a different spot on the chronological timeline. They have, they have dropped into an accepting culture, a culture that is very intentional about programming our younger generation that it's okay to be gay. We need to understand where they are, and rather than just giving quick off-the-cuff rebukes about gay being a sin. No, we need to talk to them and engage our children because they are receiving a, a completely different message from what my generation received. If you think you can separate yourself, or if you think you can separate your children from the culture, or separate yourself or the children from gay people, I don't mean to be unkind here, but you're living in an illusion secluding and sequestering from society. It worked when the world was smaller. 
It's not possible to bury your head in the sand today. Even if you ignore the problem, it's an ineffective plan for your kids, for your neighbors, for your church friends. It would be best if you stepped into the future, stepped into 2020 with wisdom, with clarity, and practical solutions from God's Word. You must activate your gospel initiatives if you have not already. And though there are many aspects to the gospel, because the gospel is like a multifaceted diamond, and every time you turn that gospel diamond, you see a new facet. Well, two vital aspects or facets of the gospel for this discussion here are humility and courage. Your attitude toward what is happening to our world will establish the tone in which you will engage it. Humility and courage must be ruling your mind as you step into the future and start engaging our culture if you are not already. The temptation to fear is real because the enemy is a roaring lion who hates Christians. God has not given us a spirit of fear, which has to be more than a biblical cliché. It's so easy to self-censor yourself because of the fear of the blowback, and there will be blowback if you open your mouth. There was a time when the opposition was not as aggressive as it is today. It is aggressive, and, and they have, honestly, so many of them have, have a passionate desire to just destroy Christianity and Christians. And what we need is the courage that we don't self-censor, but we also need that humility so that it guides how we communicate. A humble attitude toward gays will govern how you talk to your children about them. I'm not talking about engaging the gays per se, though you want to do that. But I'm talking about a humble attitude as you engage your children. If self-righteousness rises in your heart as though you are better than them, the words that come from your mouth will not work redemption in teachable hearts. If you have a sinful, if you have sinful anger, hate, or other detestable thoughts toward gaze, you must address your problem before engaging others. You need to address your heart before you open your mouth. The gospel is clear. We're all the same in that we're equally rotten to the core. Nobody has a righteous advantage over another person. And though your wickedness may differ from theirs, you put Jesus on the tree too. So did I. If you or I stratify righteousness, or if we stratify sin as though one is better than the other. I'm not talking about consequentially. Obviously, consequentially, sins are different. But when we stratify our righteousness as though I'm better than that person, or stratify our sin, my sin, put smaller nails in Jesus' hands, well, then you've started the conversation outside biblical assumptions. Only the penetrating and transforming power of the gospel makes us different from other sinners. Transformation is a gift given, not something we merit. Our attitude toward gaze should be loving, though not without the courage to speak the truth.
Your children should not hear hate or anger when you talk about the gay community. If you hate them, your children will either emulate your anger or they will embrace the gay's version of love, which is devoid of biblical conviction. A humble playing field says there are no righteous people. No, not one. And that sets the trajectory to how you engage your children. With a broken heart for all sinners as your starting point, you will position yourself to bring God-glorifying, theologically precise answers to the gay problem. Christians should have the most intelligent, persuasive, and practical conversations about how to think about and engage others in gay issues. You can do this with humility and courage. And part of how you convey the Christian marriage uh, message regarding gender and gender roles is how you live them out inside of your home. Do not underestimate the power of your example. If you're an abusive, authoritarian man, you're going to screw up gender and gender roles inside the home. If you're an angry, nagging, critical wife and mother, you're going to mess up gender and gender roles, and it will have a generational effect. You want to teach your boys what it means to be a man while leading your girls into biblical womanhood. If your home is full of confusing messages about being a man, about being a woman, a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, you will blur the lines while making your children vulnerable to what the world offers. Part of why a person looks outside a biblical paradigm is because their home life was an abysmal picture of what it means to be a Christian, male or female. We can add to the gay confusion by confusing our children. Men need training on how to be men. Women need to know it's okay to be a biblical woman, and they don't have to bow to the feministic version of womanhood. The title of the podcast, Why Should You Talk to Your Children About the LGBTQ plus problem. My point in this podcast is one, to to bring to light this problem that so many people are tempted with, and that is stuck in the past because they don't like where the future is. And so they're stuck in the past, unwilling to engage the future with intelligent biblical conversations. And so that is the big issue for too many Christians. We are not in Kansas anymore, and we need to accept where we are today, not accepting how people are and not accepting the morality, but accepting the reality that this is 2020 and we have to communicate in ways that make sense to our culture. And that is, that is the primary point of what I'm sharing with you. Now, if you want to understand the gay and the gay problem, well, I have a lot of articles that are embedded here on the gay community and how to talk about uh, talk to gays and to engage them. I've got an entire podcast that I devoted on uh, this question that is often asked: Should I attend my gay child's wedding? I have another article here about it's titled "My Son Is LGBTQ." Will you help me? So I have a lot of information about the gay issue. I've written extensively on it. But the point of this podcast is: make sure you're living 
in 2020 and that you, I'm not saying that you accept it and that you like it, but you are engaging it practically. And so the question is, are you motivated to step into the fray? We have lost ground And so I want to ask you a couple of questions as I wrap up this podcast. This is in the call to action section. I will not be able to get through all the questions, but again, you can read everything that I'm sharing with you. Question number one, in which world do you live? I gave a timeline earlier before 1960, 1960 to 1980, 1980 to 2000, 2000 to 2020. Which world do you live? Are you one or two generations behind where your children are living Do you understand them, why they think the way that they do? Do you understand this idea about them being dropped in at a different point on the chronological timeline? They were born in this century, not the last one. Question number two, how much does fear or anger keep you stuck in the past? You don't like what is happening in the world today, but rather than stepping into the noise with calm, calculating courage, you just want to be left alone. Now, I'll be honest with you, I want to be left alone, but that is part of the Christian problem. It's like, well, if you want to go to hell in a handbasket, you just go. Hell's that way, and here's the handbasket, and just leave me alone. And that is the attitude that we have too often. No, we can't, we can't take this passive approach. It is the passive approach that has been part of the problem that we are experiencing today. One more question, in what specific ways are you practically engaging the culture? Now, there is more here, and I trust that you will read this if it's of interest to you. Also, it would be great if you printed out this article and you shared it with a friend. It would be a fantastic. I would really encourage you uh, to have a small group of friends discussion about it. It would be a fantastic conversation to do so. We have to be talking about it. We have to move beyond of just being repulsed by the lifestyle, but we must engage it. And as always, if we can serve you, please let us know. We're here. Uh, Jump on our community forum and let us know how we can answer this question or others. Thanks for listening.